right, thank you, Pastor. We have our Bibles. We're still in the book of Revelation. We are over the halfway mark, uh, which is chapter 11, so we're a good piece past the halfway mark now. We're in chapter 15. Chapter 15. I uh, know we have at least one or two new folks. Roger, I wonder if I could get you to tote. I've got a couple of these. I know uh, they don't have one. And I don't know about that lady in the back. We have a supplement that I've handed out um, several months ago. And um, we're going to go over this again tonight. Uh, we have time, and it's uh, appropriate the time to go over it. Tonight, we look at chapter 15, which is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It's only eight verses in this chapter. And... Uh, Again, I only have one sheet of notes, but that never means a whole lot. <laughs> There's always more than we have time to say, but we'll uh, start in chapter 15. Now, as you find your way to chapter 15, you need to remember, as I mentioned last week, I believe, chapter 15 and 16 are a unit. They go together. The subject of these are the seven last plagues that called the vile, and the Hebrew, that's file, a P-H. But uh, it's not a vase, as you would think, a vile being a vase-like structure. This is a, a bowl like structure. And the purpose for that is that these judgments are very severe and they are poured out very quickly. They're not poured out like you would out of a vase or a valve, but like you would out of a saucer, just whoop, and it's out. And um, so that's the reason uh, we often call them the uh, judgments of the bold judgments. But um, this chapter uh, in chapter 16 covers this final period of judgments. I'm trying to get situated here. And the uh, order of the book of Revelation is it has a chronological order, but chapters are not given in chronological sequence. The sequence of the judgments are in the type of judgments. You have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the vile judgments. On this chart that we gave out, if you have yours, you notice the first three sealed judgments are in the first half of the tribulation. And, uh, of course, the first half is 
kind of like a peaceful time, though it's not peace. There's wars during that time, but it's, it's not the terrible time that we find in the second half. These judgments of the uh, trumpets and vials uh, come in the second half. And if you notice, that starts with the fourth seal. We mentioned that this uh, little chart that I've given out, you're not, I don't think I've ever seen this in print anywhere. Uh, I had a girl make this for me back in about 50 years ago when we started a church in Virginia. But uh, these, uh, char uh, this chart here gives you a picture uh, of a telescope to illustrate the different type of judgments. The judgments, if you notice, go to the end to begin with. <laughs> the seventh, if you notice down at the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet appear with the opening of the sixth seal. Now, if you read those judgments, you'll see that they are very similar and that it is, it, they are descriptive of the end of the age, when, right at the time when Christ comes back. And these trumpets, uh, these vile uh, judgments that we're looking at this week and next week will happen immediately before Christ comes back, recorded in Revelation 19. Revelation 17 and 18 are a parenthesis which gives us information about the fall of the of Babylon and of the false church. Um, so let's, let's just begin with verse number one and uh, we'll cover uh, each one and take a little bit of time. We're a lot of that tonight. And I saw another sign in heaven. Well, he, he, uh, John sees these different signs. That's how God reveals to him these prophetic uh, events. And, he, and we want to notice here that these signs are in heaven. Now, some of the passages and chapters we read are talking about judgments that are uh, here on the earth. But now, this here is in heaven uh, and it's a great and marvelous. This sign is a great and marvelous sign. It's, uh, it's just uh, phenomenal, really. It would be another word. And, and he sees seven angels having the seven last plagues. The seven last plagues. This concludes the judgment of the nations here on earth. Uh, and it is a, in a series, as the other judgments were, of seven. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and now seven vial. And it, and it says here, the seven last plagues, for in, in them is filled up the wrath of God. Filled up the wrath of God. This is very important that you catch this description here. What this filled up means, just like it would think, it's full. It, it's completely full. And it, what is full? God's wrath is full. There's no grace. There's no grace during this time. 
we're going to see at the end of this chapter that uh, a great smoke and nobody could enter into uh, the presence of God while this smoke was there and until these judgments are, are complete. But it's filled up with the wrath of God. God's judgment is going to fall. God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. We know that. We live in an age of grace, and whosoever will can be saved. And there's, uh, there's nothing you do to be saved other than accept the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. Uh, a gift is not earned. It's not uh, worked for. Uh, it's given. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so uh, this, uh, this is God's wrath hero. Uh, this is a at the end of the tribulation, the time of great wrath on the earth. And verse 2, and I saw as it were, now notice, as it were. You remember, I told you a lot of people get in trouble with the book of Revelation and studying it and trying to uh, spiritualize or uh, just make believe of everything it's said. You know, uh, they read this, they say, oh, that means this, this means that. You cannot say that it's not literal unless it's presented as not being literal. This is not being literal. It says, as it were, there in verse 2, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. We first read about this sea of glass back in chapter 4. You remember that's the chapter that talks to us about the rapture when the church is taken into heaven. And then chapter 4 and 5 are heavenly scenes about things that happen in heaven before the judgments begin, which is be the seal judgments, and that begins in chapter 6. But the, uh, we first saw this uh, sea of glass uh, there in uh, chapter 4 the first time. The sea is, is referring to all humanity, and it's a, uh, a sea of glass. Uh, the, the sea of water is not like glass. It's, you know, it's always working and moving and waves and so forth. This is a, a, just a, like a sheet of glass. God's throne is on this sheet of glass, so to speak, there in heaven. And this is where these things are going to be taking place. He sees a sea of glass, but this, this one... In chapter 4, it was a sea of glass, and it depicted God's glory. But here it says this sea of glass is mingled with fire. And fire, of course, is a symbol of judgment. This is a time of judgment. It's from God's throne that this judgment comes. And it says, and them that had gotten the victory... It's a sea of glass mingled with fire. Uh, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, so we, we know again now, this is speaking to uh, saints in heaven. These are people who have died a martyr's death during the tribulation period. 
It's, it's during the tribulation period that these saints uh, came about. Uh, if we read in uh, chapter 7 how that uh, as a fruit of, of the witness of the ministry of the 144,000, there were multitudes that were saved from every nation and every tongue. That included Israel, but every nation of the world. And most of them, we, we know two-thirds of the people that lived during this time who do not accept the mark of the beast are going, going to die a martyr's death. These are those who are represented here. They had gotten the victory over the beast. That's how they got victory, by dying uh, and, and trusting in their faith in Christ, and they died uh, a martyr's death. And over his image, this is where their victory is over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name uh, and uh, stand on the sea of glass. They're standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. They had this total victory through Christ. Not because of what they did. Uh, they just simply disobeyed him and believed God. They trusted God and would not receive the mark of the beast. And so that was a death sentence. It uh, will be a death sentence during the tribulation period for those who are living. The tribulation, remember this, the tribulation begins with everybody in the natural body lost. No saved person. The saved are taken out at the rapture majority of the people in this world are not Christians, so they're going to be here. And you say, well, I thought if they were living today and the rapture comes and they can't get saved. Well, that's true if you qualify it and you understand that's those who've had an opportunity to be saved during the age of grace. They have an opportunity and they refuse God as their personal savior. They reject the gift of God. Uh, they do their own thing, uh, which is not their own thing, but it's Satan's thing. You know, in this world, you don't do your own thing. You have a choice, obeying God or obeying the devil. Uh, if you obey the devil, that Bible tells us that you are a slave. You have no rights. You have no prerogatives. You do what the devil tells you. You're carried like a fish down a fast-moving stream. And that's how the devil has a hold of you. And uh, without God, you have no hope. Uh, none of us do. But here they're standing on this sea of glass, and they're having the harps of God. Now, when we think of a harp, we think of this mammoth musical instrument that's uh, it take two men and a boy to move it from one side of the building to the other. I mean, they're big. But the, the harp that is speaking of here, the Bible also calls this a lyre. It's, um, I don't want to say it's like a guitar, but it's closer to a guitar than it is to what you think is a harp. It was a string instrument, and uh, but it was not large, it could be handled just by your hands and uh, it could be moved about about with just one person. 
And these people are having the harps of God. Each of these uh, angels are having a harp of God. And now notice verse number three. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. There's, there's two songs here. Uh, now, it's not that they sing one song, which is this, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, as you could possibly read it that way, but that's not what it means. The definite article, the, appears before both songs. It says, the song of Moses and the, uh, and the song of the Lamb. So it, they are two different songs. The song of Moses as first sang by the Israelites, recorded in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. And this song was sang by the Israelites in praise to God for his faithfulness in delivering them from the slavery of Egypt and from the, uh, um, could say, murderous attempt of Pharaoh uh, their army that was proceeding after them. But God opened the Red Sea, took the Israelites across, and closed it, ground the, the armies of Egypt, and they died in that sea. Some says that that wasn't a sea. It was a, reed of, uh, a, a sea of reeds. Uh, you could just kind of muddy water, like, you know, walk across. No. If it was, it was a great miracle that all that army drowned in that same water. That uh, No, it was the sea, and it opened it up, and there was walls of water on either side, as described in the, in the scriptures. When God led them across, they had this song of Moses. It's talked about as a song of Moses. It's a song of deliverance. It's a song of God's gracious grace and delivering them from slavery and from uh, the armies of Pharaoh. And then it says, uh, the, uh, Moses being the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb is a, a, victor a victory song. Uh, today, uh, you know, uh, I wrote down a couple of suggestions, and I forget we're all here it is. Uh, something like we would sing today, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Or uh, another one would be um, uh, hmm. praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, really, the song, though, is described pretty good for you right here. If you notice, this song of the Lamb is given a description. It says, uh, the song of the Lamb, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. A great praise to God, the Lamb. Now, it's not just Old Testament saints singing one and New Testament saints. No, these are not. New Testament and Old Testament saints. These are tribulation saints. And they're all singing together these two different songs. But it does show representation of a, a large Jewish segment here uh, 
for singing this song of Moses, and, uh, and the uh, Gentiles perhaps had, weren't familiar with it, but the Jews were familiar with that song and the song of the Lamb. But they're all singing victory to God. That's who gave them the victory, whether it be from Egypt or from the uh, uh, punishment of the uh, wicked, uh, God's grace was sufficient. Verse 4, who shall not fear thee, O Lord? He goes on and describes this song. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. Now this verse closes with a reference to the millennial reign of Christ. That's why we know uh, this is happening at the very end of the uh, tribulation period. This is uh, the judgments of the, uh, the vile judgments and all these judgments that are listed here in this section are, are happening very rapidly and, and they're all happening uh, in, in the succession. They don't happen like the seals and then the trumpets and then the vows. They are commingled. There's only a seven-year period for the whole tribulation. The first three and a half years are covered on that chart, and these first three seal judgments. Now, I can't even read that myself. It's getting so bad. But that's why I gave you a copy. Uh, there was uh, first, second, and third seal is in the first half. That's three and a half years. That's half the whole tribulation. And only three and a half year period, all these other judgments fall. So they're rapid in succession. There's not a long time period between uh, these judgments uh, as long as perhaps you might think. And uh, the nations shall come and worship before thee. And they will. And notice it says here, uh, the next statement here says, uh, and all nations shall worship before thee, uh, for thy judgments are made manifest. God's judgment is finished with these with these six or these seven uh, vile judgments, and the, uh, then you have the uh, the end of the tribulation, and followed the tribulation is the millennial reign of Christ. You have at the end period right. When we get to chapter 19, you'll see there's a judgment, what we call the judgment of nations. At the close, at the very end of the tribulation period, there are people remaining who have not died. They're in natural bodies. Those who are worshipers of the beast and those who have not accepted the mark of the beast. And in Matthew chapter 25, it talks about the judgment of the nations, and it, and it names them the sheep and the goats. The sheep being God's people, and the goats being Satan's. The goats are judged and done away with, but the saved are taken into the millennial reign of Christ. Now, don't forget this. When the tribulation begins, 
nobody is saved. The people that are saved during the tribulation period are saved from the witness of the 144,000 plus the two in Jerusalem and their missionary work throughout the whole world. And many, many, many people, perhaps more than, than you would ever believe, were saved during that period of time. Most of them dying a martyr's death, but not all. Those who were followed the uh, teachings of the 144,000, accepted God's uh, uh, testimony and accepted him, put their trust in him, they go into that millennial reign in a natural body, just like we have natural bodies. There's a difference in the millennial reign, and we're not teaching on that tonight, but I need to tell you this so you don't get completely confused. In the millennial reign, there are people in natural bodies ruled over by people who have been resurrected and have glorified bodies, both Jews and Gentiles. The church will reign with Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And the Old Testament saints are his, his people. They'll rule over the people here on the earth. The Jews are going to rule over the Jews, the natural bodies, then the Gentiles. And there are nations from all over the world still in existence. And at the beginning of the millennial reign, all the people are saved, no lost. However, the millennial, millennial reign is not the eternal life that we talk about. It's a life beginning with Christ as the uh, king reigning on the throne of David in Jerusalem over people in natural bodies. You have Jewish people, you have non-Jewish people in other nations living here on the earth. And they're reigned over by the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, resurrected saints, and the New Testament saints reign as well and so uh, it's not that they have eternal life where, where the problem comes in is we know at the end of the millennial reign Satan is loosed he's been locked up for a thousand years he doesn't have any freedom but at the end he's given his freedom and it takes him but a little while to get a great following for his last rebellion against God so we know there are people who are not saved that follow him then. Salvation in any age is by grace, personal. You're not saved by proxy. In other words, your parents cannot give you salvation. They have a false theology called covenant theology, which says that if you make a covenant with God to raise your children in a godly way. God makes a covenant that he'll save them. That's nothing more than salvation by proxy. There's no such thing taught in the Bible. Salvation is always personal. Receiving Christ yourself. And there'll be people born during the millennial reign of Christ. The world, I believe, during that time will have more inhabitants than it's ever had. And there won't be any worry about hunger and all that stuff. Um, that's 
don't listen to what men have. If men knew their Bible better, uh, we'd have had a whole lot different outcome of those elections and, and so forth that you have in this country today. I guarantee you. But uh, God, God has these people who are living in natural bodies. So here we find that it says at the end of verse number three that he is the king of saints here on earth. That's talking about the millennial reign. And that all nations, in verse four, all nations shall come and worship before thee. Talking about worshiping before God. That will happen during the millennial reign. Uh, the Jewish form of worship or something similar to that is reestablished in Jerusalem and people come from all over the world to worship there. Okay? Now let's go on to verse number five. And, a and after that I looked. Now we're moving to another, another area. And after that, after seeing these things that he's seen and hearing these songs being sung by the angels, after that I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now we need to slow there a minute because you could miss something important here. We know that this is going to follow, okay? Of course, after that, and he looks again, he sees this. He sees that the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. This is a, uh, a description. When you study this out, the way this is spoken here, this is talking, the temple here is the holy of holies of the temple. That's the part it's talking about here. That it's opened. Now, you know, uh, uh, during the Old Testament, uh, there was a, a curtain that's divided the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And, but when Christ died on the cross, that curtain was rent from top to bottom. And, and, and then today we are a priesthood of believers. We don't need a priest or somebody to take our prayers and requests to God. We go to him in prayer. And we have that. Now, during the millennial reign, you have this Old Testament economy where you're talking about the 144,000 Jews and the, uh, the, a lot of Old Testament symbolism here. Uh, then we, uh, we need to understand that this temple, we know in the uh, tribulation, is going to be reestablished. We call it Ezekiel's temple. We read about it in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. That's why they call it Ezekiel's temple. But uh, the temple will be rebuilt. There's no temple there today in Jerusalem. There will be during, the, during that first half of the tribulation, during that semi-peace time. And people can do a lot in three years or three and a half years. Uh, look uh, how they rebuild stuff today. And, and so he says here, that this temple, this holy of holies was opened. Now notice verse 6. And the seven angels came out of the temple. Now in the Old Testament, only the holy priest could go in there. And then only once a year. Okay. But here now, these seven angels with these last seven plagues come out of the holy of holies. Out of the very presence of God. 
is what it's saying here. Having the seven plagues, and they are clothed, it says, in pure white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Now, they have pure white. That's the, uh, the dressing of, the, uh, of, of a priest like. And they're doing an off ministry like of a priest. These are angels, though. These are not men. These are angels. And they're dressed with this white linen, showing their purity, holiness, and having these breasts girded with golden girdles. This is like a, um, a garment that came over the, the, the white garment, and then this would come down off the shoulder and around the waist, and uh, if you can vision that, that's what this uh, piece of material would look. And that speaks of the, uh, the righteousness, the holiness of God, and the power of God. These were uh, pure uh, servants, pure angels, and they were clothed with power from God. Verse 7, and, on, uh, and one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, which liveth forever and ever. Uh, one of the four beasts, do you remember again back in chapter 5, we talked, it talked about this heavenly scene and being a four beast and the elders, the elders representing the New Testament saints and the beast were uh, creatures representing really Israel. Uh, they're, they're, they're used in, in, the, in, the, in the ministry to Israel and that's what it is here. Uh, the beast gave unto the seven angels the seven golden vials full of the wrath of God uh, who liveth forever and ever. Uh, again, these are golden vials and they're full of God's wrath. No mercy in this. And then the last verse, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no man was able to enter into the temple. Again, that's the Holy of Holies. Till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. No access to God. No praying to God for mercy. No pleading for God's interception uh, in the affairs of man. That's not even heard of. God will not hear it. He will not hear it. There's purely judgment and wrath. These, these judgments that we're going to begin to look at next week are, are very, very severe. More severe than any of the other judgments that we've seen up to this point. Now, I want to, I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't speed through this. I, I think it took sufficient time. But I wanted to leave myself time in order to just re refresh something with you in our present history today. I, uh, as many of you, were very uh, disappointed in the elections yesterday. Uh, I was uh, of hope that uh, Virginia would be a different state today, different looking state today than it is. And some of the other victories, and some of the victories the Republicans won, they just won by shaving. 
and I and I don't understand, and and um, uh, I don't try to tell you that I understand why they, all these things are happening, other than the fact that we know from all Scripture that we live in the last days. We know that America is not mentioned in Bible prophecy, and we have seen in our life. My life and yours, mine may be uh, Rogers in the hospitals. He's the only one older than I am here. Uh, there's um, Brother Ron and his wife were in California to a, a celebration of a camp they worked in. So he's not here. He's older than I am. But other than that, uh, I'm the old cluck on the block, I guess. I, I, I'm, I'm the oldest, but I've seen in my life, and you don't have to live to be like me in your 80s to know that this country has changed dramatically from what it was. We are seeing changes so fast. I tell you, people say, well, we should pray that God would... Um, do this or do that, I'm beginning to change my thoughts on that. I believe we need to pray that God keeps us in his will and that God keeps us satisfied with whatever happens. Hey, just like these saints here, if, if uh, the United States as a government would fall and we'd be captured with, by China or some other foreign party or from within, like Rome, just eat ourselves up with stupidity. That's a good possibility. But the way thing, I mean, who would have thought that you'd have public school systems making perverts out of your children? Who would have thought that would happen? With churches being where schools started in this country. Harvard University, one of the most wicked places today, was started as a Bible college. Started to teach preachers. And now look at it. It's, it's, gone, it's gone down fast. And I don't know. I, I don't know how it will end. But I do know this. That God's on his throne. God makes no mistakes. It may not be like we want. That's why I say maybe we shouldn't be praying that God would uh, heal our nation and all that because, um, yeah, well, the smoke filled the temple here. And I think God's grace, long-suffering as it is, and not willing that any should perish, is coming to a close. I think we're coming to an age, and we haven't even looked at these uh, uh, judgments in particular as we will beginning in verse 1 of chapter 16 next week, Lord willing. But oh, they're awesome. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're terrible, terrible judgments. But I know this, what I've seen in my lifetime is terrible. I lived in a time when homosexuality was a crime and you were put into jail. And today, 
you'll put into jail if you stand against it. Hate speech and all that. We live in a different world, folks. And, and you know, our church, thank God for the teachers we have and for our pastor. Preach those great messages Sunday morning, Sunday night. Uh, not every church is blessed like that. But you, you thank God for what we have. Thank God for what he's given us. The memories we have may be the best part that we have of our country. I cannot see any way that this is going to turn around. Personally, I don't. Whenever I hear of the political talk and the one thing that came out, they said there's one thing that the Democrats are going to use to try to get the victory in 2024, and that's abortion. Can you believe that? A country like ours has been blessed by God, founded by men who love God, and now the, the rallying point is murdering little babies, innocent babies. Those wild people in the Middle East that, that tortured those little children. The one news report, and you probably heard it as I did, but it, it's just so grotesque where they were, were taking babies and burning them alive and making their parents witnesses. What kind of people are they? And yet our country today over 100,000 people last, the last few days I had that big rally in Washington and people honoring those people that tortured those little babies. I don't know what to think. I know this, God's word, I've taught these lessons for many, many years. I think this thing here was made about 50 years ago. This is one of the originals. That used to be white paper. <laughs> and I, I keep it for sentiment, that's all. I mean, I've got copies that I made that when this one completely goes down, I'll have one if it does. But um, this is not new for me. But the group I'm teaching to is new. The times in which I'm teaching it is new. We used to think about the two witnesses and that the world would see them and the skeptics in that day laughed, oh, that Bible, you can't believe that. How could that be? How could the whole world see two people laying dead in the street in Jerusalem? Doesn't take a lot of imagination today. You, every night with the news, you got live coverage from over there with the war, just as it's happening. Now, I've seen a lot of things. I've had to change a little bit here and there on my notes because at sometimes I'd, I'd had to say, we don't know how just that will be, but, but God said it'll be, it'll be just like he said. And we're still saying what God said 
we can say I, we, we pretty much know how God's going to do it now with the internet and all that. I, I just wanted to take a few moments tonight and share with you uh, my personal grief in this. And, and I know as our pastor, uh, and, and the church only has one pastor, God calls a man to lead the flock, the under-shepherd, Christ the shepherd, the pastor, the under-shepherd. And a pastor, having pastored, I can say this with, with knowledge, a pastor, if I feel what I feel, you can multiply it by 10, what he feels. It's just... Uh, Beyond, you know, I just, maybe I'm just getting too old. They say, uh, you know, you can't teach old dogs new tricks, and I don't think you can teach old preachers a whole lot either because they get kind of set in their ways. But this is a, a tremendous book. That's why God gives a promise to those who study the book of Revelation. That's why he tells you don't let people tell you it's hard to understand. There's nothing hard about this. If you just put your effort into it and study it and, and ask God, we have all the same teacher, that's the Holy Spirit. He teaches us all things, calls all things our remembrance. He uses preachers and teachers to, to share and enlighten in certain areas, but they can't teach. No more than a, than a person can save another person. I can't teach you. The Spirit of God will teach you. But you have to be willing. You have to have a willing heart. And if you have a willing heart, God will teach you. And these, and these verses that we read, uh, I tell you, I, I begin, as I tell you, told you before, I'll begin tomorrow studying chapter 16. And I'll study it every day until I teach it next uh, Wednesday night, Lord willing. And uh, yet I've taught it over and over and over again. I couldn't tell you how many commentaries I've read. When I first made my notes, my, my uh, teaching, when I was in college, I was taught when you do a study, you choose at least a minimum of five sources that are credible. In other words, not devotional types of writings, which are good, but get stuff by people who are noted for knowledge in that area. And I started these notes that way. But I still read. Our Sunday school teacher, he's my librarian, as I call him, and he keeps me fed with certain... I'm studying the book of Jeremiah along with this and how, how it goes together. The book of Deuteronomy that he's teaching in Sunday school, so much of that goes right with this. And you know, God puts us all together, but you have to make yourself available to it. You have to be faithful to it. The, the messages the preacher preaches, uh, these, this stuff comes out over, over and over to me as I study through the week. Well... I'll not take any more of your time. I do have my hearing aid, so I, I'll, I'll entertain a, 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 a question.
question if you have a